Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. Very thankful uh, for our worship team and how they use their gifts to glorify God and to lead us in worship. And uh, also thankful the fact that we have teenagers that are serving uh, in, our, in our service. You know, we had three teenagers up here. We have one in the back running the lights. Uh, I've been in ministry for 19 years and about thir- 12 to 13 of those I spent as a youth pastor. And so it always blesses my heart uh, to see che- teenagers serving the Lord and using their gifts. Because church, you need to understand, they're not the future of the church. They are the church now, and we need them serving now. And so I'm thankful for our students and how they're using their gifts to glorify God. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. This word, God actually laid on my heart um, over a month ago, almost two months ago. Uh, one night, the Lord uh, woke me up in the middle of the night, and I went into the living room with my Bible and was just sitting there, just kind of flipping through uh, passages of Scripture. And the Lord drew me to this passage, and um, it really spoke to some things that are going on in my own lives, but the Lord just really laid on my heart that, Justin, this is, this is a word that uh, I think is appropriate for the church today, uh, not the church universal, but also our own local church. Uh, and um, I'll just tell you on the front end, this is, this is not an easy passage. Uh, the, what God is saying to the church uh, at Ephesus is not easy to hear, but it's critical that we hear this message today. You know, if you've been driving for any amount of time, then you probably are familiar with the term blind spots. A blind spot is a specific area where a driver's vision is blocked from seeing the other vehicles around them. Failure to be aware of one's blind spot can lead to a serious accident. You know, when we tend to think of blind spots, we generally think of them in regards to driving. However, blind spots can also exist in our spiritual lives. What are some blind spots that might come up in our lives? One, I would say, would be overconfidence. Overconfidence can become a blind spot in that we believe that we can live the Christian life in our own strength. Forgetting that we need the power of God working in and through us in order to live the Christian life. Complacency can become a blind spot. This would be developing an attitude of, I'm content with where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. I'm satisfied with my current level of involvement with the things of God, and there's no need for me to push myself to grow any further than what I already have. This morning, in the time that we have remaining, I would like for us to consider what some might say is actually the most dangerous blind spot that can develop in a Christian's life. And that is allowing your love for Christ to grow cold. Allowing your love for Christ to grow cold. 
It's been said that love for another is lost not in a moment, but over time. It takes place slowly, not quickly. And we may not even realize it's happening. A cooling of one's love for Jesus is dangerous because it's something that happens on the inside. You've heard the saying, looks can be what? Deceiving. You see, a Christian can come to church every week, serve in the ministries of the church, contribute financially to the church, and yet their love for Christ has grown cold. I love how one commentator said it, quote, There is no better illustration in Scripture of the seriousness of allowing love for Christ to wane than the letter to the church at Ephesus found in Revelation 2, end quote. So if you would, take your Bibles and stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's read the letter to the church at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated Allow me to give you a little bit of background on the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the most important city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It held, the city of Ephesus held great commercial importance. Three great trade routes of the ancient world converged upon this city. Ephesus also had the, the primary harbor in the province of Asia. It was a city that held great political importance. It was the primary residence of the Roman proconsul of Asia. It was also considered a free city, which means that the citizens of Ephesus had been granted special privilege by the Roman government to self-govern themselves. The city also hosted athletic events that rivaled the Olympic Games of their day. It was a, great, it was a city of great religious importance. The major attraction in the city of Ephesus was the temple of Artemis, or Diana, which was one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. A major industry in Ephesus was the manufacturing of images or idols of the goddess. It was a city that was known for its idolatry. 
However, at the time of this writing, the church at Ephesus had existed for about 40 to 45 years. It had been founded by the Apostle Paul and the husband and wife team of Aquila and Priscilla. Many great leaders had gone through Ephesus, leaders such as Apollos, Timothy, who was the young companion of Paul, and the Apostle John. It is believed that the Apostle John was the chief leader of the church at Ephesus for 25 years. It's been said that Ephesus was the mother of all churches in Asia Minor. It indeed had become a very large and a very proud church. You see, the church at Ephesus was the church that every Christian would have wanted to be a part of. Look with me again at the text in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now notice the word angel here. This is not the celestial being that we normally think of when we hear the word angel. This word angel can also be translated as messenger. And because of that, many scholars believe that this word is actually referring to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, because he would have been the one to stand before the people and deliver this message. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands is the Lord Jesus Christ. The seven stars are the seven angels that were assigned to these churches, it is believed. Uh, and the golden lampstands themselves represent the seven churches that you will see in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. Now, I want to point out to you just quickly a couple of things that we see in verse 1 about Jesus. One, you have to understand Jesus cares about the church of Ephesus. He cares deeply about this church. And secondly, he is present. He is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He is there and he knows what is going on. I like how one commentator said it. He said, quote, he is no absentee landlord or disinterested deity, end quote. You see, the Lord Jesus sees all that we do. He hears all that we have to say, and he knows what we think and what's in our hearts. Now, on the one hand, this knowledge should bring great assurance to us, knowing that the Lord Jesus is here with us. However, it also brings great responsibility. I want you to know this morning, church, that just as the Lord Jesus cared for the church at Ephesus, he cares for First Baptist Church of LaGrange. He cares for each of you. He wants his church, that means you and me, he wants each of us to reach our greatest potential. Never forget that the local church, the group of believers with whom you worship and with whom you serve, is God's vehicle for changing the world. That being said, God takes the church seriously. And so should we. Look with me in verses 2 and 3. The Lord Jesus says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Notice here that Jesus begins with compliments of this church. 
He tells them, I know your deeds. What what we see here is that the church at Ephesus was a working church. This This was not a church where members were just content to take a seat in their, not literally, but in the pew or in their chairs and simply just be fed. This was a church where members engaged in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and not simply when it was convenient for them to do so. He says, I know your toil. Well, the word toil is labor to the point of sweat and exhaustion. So not only was this a working church, but this was a hard working church. This was a sacrificing church. This church didn't have a volunteer problem like most of our churches uh, in our country today. They took to heart the words of the Apostle Paul when he had written to them many years prior in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 10 when Paul said, For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? God's. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that what? We might walk in them. They took that to heart. He also says, I know your perseverance. You see, this was a strong church. They were a church that was able to withstand hardship. And and, and they didn't buckle under the pressure of persecution. At the bottom of verse 3, he tells them, You have perseverance and you have endured for my namesake. And you have not grown weary. You see, this church knew what it was to go through persecution. They knew what it was like to go through difficult times. This was a church that when the going got tough, they kept going. They paid the price for their belief in Jesus. The great 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody once said, I grow weary in the work, but not of the work. If we're not careful, church, If we allow our love for Christ to grow cold, then we can get tired of the work. It was a church that knew perseverance. It was a church that knew hard work. And it was a church that was strong doctrinally. They held tightly to the truths of Scripture. Notice at the latter part of verse 2, he tells them, you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false. He says you cannot tolerate evil men. The church at Ephesus was not a tolerant church when it came to their beliefs. I love this quote from one commentator. He said, quote, it's popular to be open-minded towards many types of sins, calling them personal choices or alternative lifestyles. But when the body of believers begins to tolerate sin in the church, it is lowering the church's standards and compromising its witness. End quote. God's word sets the standard for what's right and what's wrong, not what the people around us are willing to accept. You see, there is a difference between being tolerant and being loving. You can still be loving to someone and not necessarily be tolerant of their lifestyles and the things that they're doing. 
And the church at Ephesus was not tolerant when it came to the idolatry that was going on in its time. Who were these men that claimed to be apostles? Verse 6 gives us insight. It tells us, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a heretical group within the church who had compromised their faith in order to enjoy some of the sinful practices of the Ephesian society, things like idolatry and sexual immorality. They came into the church trying to convince other believers that they could still follow Christ while simultaneously engaging in whatever activities they wanted to, regardless of whether Scripture said they were sinful or not. The church at Ephesus did not tolerate these false teachers. They would not compromise on the truth of God's Word. See, church, the world needs Christians who will stand for God's truth and point people to right living even when it's difficult. So who was the church at Ephesus? They were a church that worked hard at serving the Lord. They were a church that pushed through the hardship. They were a church that endured persecution, but yet did not waver in their faith. They were a church that held strong to the truths of the Scripture. And they were a discerning church. They would not fall prey to false teachers. You see, on the outside, everything looked really good at the church at Ephesus. However, we need to look a little bit beneath the surface. Look with me at verse 4. He says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I don't know about you, church, but this verse should should send chills down the spine of every Christian. But I have this against you. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I have a problem with you, and it's a big one. Can you imagine the look on the face of the Ephesian Christians when they heard this letter read to them? Pastor Chuck Swindoll said this, quote, the erosion of the love that they had at the beginning didn't happen overnight. No one suddenly wakes up one morning and says, I don't love Jesus anymore. I'm tired of Jesus and I'm finished with all this Christianity stuff. It doesn't happen like that. It happens over the years after hardship, after questions that you can't get answered, trials that don't seem to have any reason Loss of help, health, excuse me, loss of hope, loss of a loved one. In the midst of the Ephesians' hard work and endurance for Jesus, their love for him began to wane. End quote. You see, the church at Ephesus had lost that intense and enthusiastic devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had gotten off track. Not in their doctrine, but in their personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus does not want simply our obedience. He wants our affections as well. What was once done from passionate love had now become simply duty and a chore. 
They were just going through the motions. I love how one commentator said it. He said, quote, once on fire for Christ, their blazing passion had cooled off to a little flicker. They had full heads, busy feet, but cold hearts, end quote. Ladies, imagine with me for a moment that your husband stopped talking to you. He stopped spending time with you. He no longer showed any interest in you nor in your marriage. When you confront him about this, he simply says, I take out the garbage every week. I mow the lawn. I fix things around the house when they break. I take care of the maintenance of your car etc., etc. He simply lists the things that he does for you. Does that convince you that he loves you by simply just listing the things that he does? I wouldn't think so. But yet that is exactly what the church at Ephesus had done to God. The Ephesian Christians were so busy doing the work of God that they neglected their relationship with God. And I wonder if we're not guilty of the same thing today. Just as your vehicle flashes warning lights on your dashboard to alert you of a problem with your vehicle, there are also some warning signs that can occur in our lives that should make us aware that there is a problem in our spiritual lives. First, there's a loss of joy. A loss of joy. For you see, we find great joy in what we truly love. When we lose the joy in our relationship with someone, it's a sign that our love for that person has somehow diminished. There's also a loss of a desire to pray and to read the Word of God. You see, we want to spend time with those that we love. We talk to them and we listen to what they have to say. But if our love for Christ is growing cold, we'll find ourselves spending less time talking to the Lord in prayer and less time digging into His Word and hearing from Him. You also might see yourself pulling away from being around other Christians. See, when, you lo- when, you, when your love for the Lord grows cold, you tend to pull away from church and other activities where you'll be surrounded by other Christians you also find that your priorities begin to change. Christ and the things of Christ are no longer your top priority. Your focus begins to shift. There become other things that tend to capture your attention. You see, church, there is no neutral when it comes to the Christian life. You are either growing forward and drawing closer to the Lord Jesus, or you're drifting away from Him. As we look to verse 5, we'll see that Jesus is going to offer the Ephesians a solution to their problem. He offers them some instructions on how to get back on track. So if you would, look with me in verse 5. The Lord Jesus tells them, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place. You see, if the Ephesians were going to return to their first love to the Lord Jesus Christ, there were three things he told them they had to do. 
He told them first, remember where you have fallen. You see, forgetfulness was the initial cause of their spiritual decline. Jesus tells them to remember, to stop, and to take inventory of their lives. They needed to be honest with themselves and to evaluate where they had been and where they currently found themselves in relation to their love for Christ. And while it is true that too much looking back to the past can be dangerous, it can be even more dangerous to forget the past and the lessons that we have learned. You see, Jesus wanted the Ephesian Christians to remember what it was like when the grace of God took hold of him, when they first fell in love with him and began to follow him. He wanted them to remember what their life was like before they came to know Jesus. To think about how he had changed their lives. To think about the impact that he had made on their lives. To take a moment and to just ponder what his love had saved them from. He tells them, remember from where you have fallen. Secondly, he tells them to repent. To repent. In the great commandment, Jesus told us that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Again, what is it called? The great commandment. So, allowing our love for God to diminish then is what? It's sin. When we allow our love for God to diminish, to grow cold, we are engaging and sin. And sin is an offense against God. Again, think about what Christ has done for us. What His death on the cross provided for us. And thinking about that, what kind of pain do you imagine that it causes Jesus when we allow our love for Him to grow cold? The call to repent is Jesus saying to them, it's Jesus saying to you, it's Jesus saying to me, stop going your way. Turn and come back to me. It's Jesus saying, turn away from those things that make you lose sight of what's really important. Turn away from the things that dull your appetite for my word. Turn away from those things that steal your time and leave you no time to pray and no time to worship me and no time to serve me. Jesus' call to repent is His way of saying, I want you back with me. He tells them to remember from where you have fallen, to repent, and He tells them, do the deeds you did at first. Do the things that kept you close to Christ, that motivated you to serve Him in the first place. In a sense, it's Jesus saying, go back to the basics. Go back to time in His Word. Go back to spending significant time in prayer. Engage in obedient service. And simply worship Him. It means putting in the time and the work when it comes to our relationship 
with Jesus, doing whatever it takes to be close to Him. I want you to notice at the end of verse 5, after he tells them the things that they need to do, he, he offers a word of warning. He says, or else. Or else. For you see, there is a price to pay for drifting away from Jesus. He says, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Well, what does that mean? It's losing the ability to be light. Losing one's effectiveness or ability to influence those around you along with the culture around you. And again, remember, this applies both individually to us as Christians and corporately as the body of Christ. When we allow our love for Jesus to grow cold, when we're simply just going through the motions, we lose our ability to make an impact on a lost and dying world. And as I sat there that night, in the middle of the night reading that, I just thought, might this be the reason why churches today are declining in attendance? Might this be the reason that we're seeing baptism numbers plummet in relation to previous years? Might this be the reason why churches are struggling to find volunteers to serve in the various ministries of the church? Might this be the reason why churches are struggling financially and many churches are having to close their doors? Church, I want you to hear me when I say this. Do not, do not take the blessing of God on your life or on this church for granted. Do not take the blessing of God on your life or on this church for granted. And this is a hard statement that I'm about to make, but I really believe this to be true. God is not obligated to bless us. And God is not obligated to bless this church. His blessing on our lives and on this church are simply a demonstration of His grace. And what is grace? It's unmerited favor. We cannot do anything to earn the blessings of God. He does so simply out of his love for us. So do not take the blessing of God on your life for granted or the blessing of God on this church for granted. As I said earlier, the church at Ephesus was the church of its day. It was the church that every one of us would have wanted to be a part of. But let me ask you this question. Where is the church of Ephesus today? If you were to go over to Turkey and to Ephesus, would you find this church there today? You would not. The church of Ephesus has slipped into the pages of history. And why? Because they lost their focus. They stopped making the main thing the main thing. They left their first love. They had become a church that was simply going through the motions. All the while, their love for Christ was growing cold. And because of that, they lost their ability to impact the culture around them, and they no longer exist. And I offer this warning. If we are not careful, we will lose our ability to make an impact on our culture. If First Baptist Church is not careful, we will lose our ability to impact LaGrange, 
and Fayette County. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. When he who has an ear to hear, when God speaks, because this is the Lord Jesus speaking, we have a responsibility to heed his voice. The Lord ends his message to his church with a challenge and an encouragement to overcome. You see, overcoming means to be victorious over the circumstances in which one finds themselves. And in the context of the book of Revelation, it means living a life of service to God out of a heart of love. So as we come to the end of our time together, I want to challenge you to do something today. And this isn't easy, what I'm about to ask you to do, but I want you to do a self-evaluation in regards to your relationship with Jesus. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the temperature of my love for Jesus? And be honest with yourself. It's not what you would like for it to be, but what it truly is. Is your love for Jesus burning hot or has your love for him grown lukewarm or has it even grown cold? As I was preparing for the sermon, I ran across another quote that really stood out to me and it says this quote, tell me what you think about and I'll tell you what you love. Tell me what you talk about and I'll tell you what you love. Tell me what excites you and I'll tell you what you love, end quote. May the answer to each of those always be Jesus. Revelation 2 teaches us that the great commandment matters to God. A wholehearted love for God matters above all else. Right belief and outward service cannot make up for a cold heart. I wonder how many of us are just trudging through life hanging on, simply doing our duty. This is not the abundant life that Christ has spoken of that He desires for us. As I look at the state of the church today, I wonder if the problems that we're facing are not directly tied to a love for Christ that has grown cold. Dr. Adrian Rogers, a great Baptist pastor of a previous generation, once said, quote, if a church stays passionately in love with Jesus, almost every problem will take care of itself. If a church is passionately in love with Jesus, they won't have an attendance problem. Because if you love Jesus, you'll love His church. Dr. Rogers also said, quote, where a man's heart is, his heels will follow, end quote. If churches are passionately in love with Jesus, they won't have a giving, a giving problem. Because when people love Jesus, they're going to want to give to the work of Christ. Churches that are madly in love with Jesus, they don't have service problems. Because if you have a love for Jesus, you're going to want to serve Him. And again, we, all, we know as you get older, you can't serve in every way that you used to serve. But there are, all, there are many ways in which we can serve the Lord Jesus. Never forget, we may retire from the workforce, but we don't retire from service in the kingdom of God 
until we literally retire from this world. Churches that have a burning love for Jesus don't have an evangelism problem. You see, it's not an issue of do you love the lost? It's do you love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, you're going to talk about him. Because we talk about the people that we love. And I would just ask the, the question, why would you not talk about Jesus? Why would you not talk about what he's done for your life? Churches that have a burning love for Jesus don't have a division problem. For you see, when your heart is in tune with Jesus and my heart is in tune with Jesus, we can't help but love one another. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to always agree with one another, but our love for one another, even in our disagreement, will be evident. For when a church falls out of love with Jesus, the seeds of dissension and destruction will be sown. The church at Ephesus did a number of things right, but they did one thing wrong, and that one thing nullified all the other good things that they had done. You know, we're doing a lot of great things here at First Baptist. We have some great ministries that I really believe are reaching people for the kingdom. But I offer this warning. If we allow our love for Christ to grow cold, and if we're simply going through the motions, then we will not make a real impact on this community. Last thought. I wonder... If Jesus walked through that door today and he walked down this aisle and he walked up these steps and he came behind this pulpit, what would he say to the church of First Baptist LaGrange? Would he say, you know, you've done many great things for me and in my name and y'all believe the right things. You're holding to the truth of Scripture. You're preaching and teaching God's Word. But I have this against you. Church, I believe that God is calling us individually, collectively as a church, corporately as the church universal, to make sure that our love for Christ has not grown cold. So would you join me today and examine each of your hearts and ask yourself, has my love for Jesus grown cold? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. God, I know this isn't an easy word, but God, it's so important. Lord Jesus, we need to get this right because we can do a lot of other things right, but if we mess up on this, then nothing else matters. God, would you move in this time of invitation in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. I would invite you to stand. And this is an opportunity for you to respond to God's word. I would challenge you, like I said today, to examine your heart and ask yourself, has my love for Christ grown cold? And if it has, would you just take some time, talk to God. The altar's here. You can always pray where you're standing. I'm here. There'll be others. But this is a time for us to respond to God's word as we stand and sing.